back everybody this is part two of our interview with Silvana Espinoza Lau so excited to get back into it so uh, let's go talking a lot about black and white thinking and you know western psychology I'm also wondering how diagnosis falls into all of this you mentioned working with insurance companies and I guess just how traditional traditional Mm -hmm. in quotes uh diagnosis falls or or just your thoughts about it for sure for sure um I um like to bring a lot of informed consent um, to my sessions, even if it's session after session. And I like to have that conversation with clients who are using their insurance. Uh, I like to tell them I will need to come up with a diagnosis that will, of course, reflect what you're going through. But the diagnosis can mean whatever you want. If if you need to have this diagnosis, great. If you think that it's just a label, I also support that. And this is the only way in which I can see you using your insurance benefits. And that also means that I need to take notes in a certain way, including certain information, right? MSE and all that other stuff. And I, your insurance company may ask me for your note, for my notes. Um, and guess what? They determine if you can have therapy. They determine medical necessity, not me. If you want to go through that, I am happy to do this with you. But I just want you to know from the very beginning how things work if we use your insurance. Uh, and depending on the insurance, I will also tell them, well, I need to assess you every six months or I need to assess you every three months. And we need to go through this, you know, treatment plan that may not sound like what you told me, but I need to translate it for the insurance company just to keep them happy. That's what I tell them so that we can use your benefits. And uh, I also have the conversation of you no longer meet this criteria. And what do we do in that situation? And what would you like to do? So if I am going to work with an insurance company, that's the honest conversation that I have with my clients. Um, Same with, uh, you know, potential crisis. Like I I try to make everything very honest, very transparent, very clear to my clients. Also to reduce the hierarchy in the room. Um, I, I, I try to empower them as much as I can, knowing that I am the clinician and I am, you know, I am providing the treatment, but but I like to empower them as much as I can. And that is one of the ways, like knowledge, know how your insurance works and how I need to work with them. I love that that notion that you and the client are united front against the insurance company almost, like you are yes. getting to their level <laughs> and not being another person to tell them, like you're saying like, no, this is the language that I'm interpreting for you. I don't agree with it, but this is how we get you in the room. How do you feel clients respond to that to that alignment? that you receive and give to them? I think that they respond well. Um, At least the people that I have worked with and what I have perceived, what what I have been told, 
uh, it seems like they respond well because they understand that insurance company is not perfect. And uh, most people, what a surprise, they have had issues with their insurance companies. I have had issues with mine. Um, so I think that for most people, it doesn't come as a surprise that I need to jump through these hoops or that we need to jump through some hoops so that the treatment can be provided. Yeah. So I think that they take it uh, very well for the most part. Yeah. I think it's also to have helpful to have those conversations and to also just be there for clients to help them navigate other areas of the medical field. Like I've had many conversations with clients about like, here's how we talk to this doctor to maybe get the outcome that you want from the yes. doctor and not yes. trying to trick them, mm -hmm. but just like, these are the things that they're probably looking for. And they, they want you to say, um, these are things that if you say this, this will happen, you know, like completely, completely. And when you say that I am thinking of clients of so many identities, right? N yes. Not just not just my clients who speak <gasps> Spanish or not just my clients who are Latinx, but other clients who belong, who have other system, systemically marginalized identities that will describe their experience in a way that a doctor may not understand, right? So the doctor says something like, you are fine or go back to your therapist or you just need this, I don't know anti-anxiety medication or, you know, come back in a month. And yes, it's, it's so true. Sometimes, unfortunately, clients also need to speak that doctor language or that medical language yeah. that they don't need to know about, uh, which is also so uh, colonized to me. <laughs> like, why should I speak this language? Why should I know these words? Why should I adjust to this type of treatment, to the medical treatment, and why can't the medical treatment adjust to me and who I am with my circumstances and with my identities? And, and even thinking about in Pennsylvania, I'm not sure how it is in California, that doctor holds so much power, especially when mental health is concerned, because they can automatically... 302 you is what it's 302 is what it's called in Pennsylvania, but involuntarily commit you. I mean, obviously they have to, you know, it has to be back upable, uh, which yes. is definitely a professional word, but um, yeah. you know, it has to hold up in court, but like how terrifying is that? Very, very, yeah. very, very. I remember uh, when I lived in California, now I'm in Oregon, oh, uh, but back in California, that's okay. Back in California, it was a 5150, right? Uh, we need to 5150 this client. And um, maybe things have changed. I haven't lived there in seven years, but it was uh, relatively easy to do that. Um, here in Oregon, um, they are more concerned with clients' rights, um, which again, some people like that and some others don't. Uh, <laughs> and it's uh, such an uh, unbelievable debate to me that because we're giving people more <laughs> rights, <laughs> that, that 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 is something you know like oh. it seems like some people uh within the medical model they believe that, that some people should be some clients should be institutionalized in an easier way in a faster way or in this more black and white way right oh they are displaying symptoms of this they are behaving in this way 
the frequency and the intensity has increased. Therefore, they need to be institutionalized. And it makes me wonder, they are increasing, you know, if, if somebody has this is displaying more of this or the symptoms of whatever have increased, is it maybe because of the system that they are living in and we are institutionalizing these individuals when the system is the one that should be changing? Of course, that's a broader topic, but yeah, to, to, you know, to, to, to comment on what you just said, thankfully here in Oregon, it's a little bit harder, but, but yeah, it's, it's still, um, it's, it's still, uh, sad in my humble opinion that people need to go through these institutions that they seem to help, but they help the person in the moment but the institutions are not changing the are not helping change the environment of the person or what is that other agency what is that other system within our communities that is going to help the person not just with the problems that they have in the moment but that is going to help them change their circumstances or you know connect them with resources like something is missing in our system yeah, it's a it's kind of a shitty reminder that capitalism does not want people to be out of their oppressed states. It really benefits from them going through the system and um, their insurance companies paying it money and them paying it money. There is no if because our economic and political system is deeply entrenched in production and consumption, there's never going to be a reason to pull people out of the horrible situations they're in. And the sooner we all are very aware of that, the sooner there can be actual like nationwide changed and then like culturalized and like western change as well I'm, I'm just thinking about all the labor uh, labor changes that are happening throughout our country i mean it'd be wonderful if it was happening at a more rapid pace but if you check your local cities and your counties for listeners just to see what what groups and what companies um right now the philadelphia museum of art is going on strike on monday their their workers are striking so this this widespread union change is happening and this can be something that changes in healthcare as well i know that a couple tens of thousands of nurses at least two weeks ago and therapists were striking in California that were working for Kaiser as well. Yes. So, the, you know, the sooner that we're all kind of like identifying that our clients are not being cared for because because them not being cared for is actually a benefit, you know, then we could be able to make some change. And it, it seems like, Silvana, you're one of these folks that are on the vanguard of that, just like really wanting wanting this change to be made because you're seeing that you're seeing that there's just going to be a higher quality of life. And the system, if the system is changed completely, then we can have this almost almost fairy tale like living situation where we are having our needs met by by the government and where we are having where we are we're not able to live destitute or we're not able to live houseless or we're not able to live without health care all of these things are possible they are happening in other places right now and in many places in the global south that are fighting to do it especially in south america could you think of any examples as i put you on the spot of, <laughs> of where you are seeing this kind of revolutionary change in systems that are there for the people instead of for the system? I think that I cannot think of a, I think that I cannot think uh, <laughs> of a geographical place, but I do remember here and there working uh, from um, colleagues telling me of institutions here in the United States or in places, agencies back in South America. And I'm pretty sure this exists elsewhere 
where the um, mental health model was more of a cooperative model. The, um, what is it, management, quote unquote, or, or whoever, the, the admin group would rotate, right? And it was purposefully small so that people could have conversations, so that there could be community, um, so that the this agency would not grow so much that they would have to put someone at the top to be in charge of five more people who are in charge of 10 more people. And that's where communication really doesn't work, right? So I wish I could remember the places. I really wish I do. But I do remember I do remember hearing that from colleagues here in the United States and, and, and back in, in, in South America as well. And I think that that's a beautiful model uh, because uh, it eliminates hierarchies or there is some sort of hierarchy, but that hierarchy changes, right? So maybe I am the boss, quote unquote, for six months or a year, but then somebody else is going to be the boss and I go back to being a therapist or, or something else, right? So, so all of these uh, roles are always rotating. So uh, it makes me wonder how much empathy that creates as well. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, the, even like because the person in charge is now no longer like the boss because it's yeah. rotating. Yeah. And that's so cool. That's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. little to no labor exploitation. Because, like that's the issue with having a management class. Right. I'm doing very aggressive little air quotes with <laughs> having <laughs> folks that are either have not worked clinically in the field or mm -hmm. who did years ago that are in charge of a bunch of clinicians and you may not have that empathy that you're both mm -hmm. talking about. I love that rotation. I love that model. Yeah, if you remember that, definitely share it with us. I will. I yeah. will. And I think it helps so much. The other thing that I was thinking of this is that um, that to me, it's not only uh, liberatory and decolonized, but it also follows this principle of uh, can we dismantle things the way that they exist? Or can we start to abolish, you know, this institution and create, yeah, there's this concept that I love, radical imagination, because it's basically that, what can we imagine? We can't do anything with our imagination, right? But the idea is, in order for something to exist, I have to imagine it first, I have to visualize it, and I have to dream of it first. And as naive as it sounds, I think that that is the beginning, I have to be with my people, with my community? And can we have this radical imagination? Can we radically imagine something better, something different? Can that at some point become a reality? Can we make a plan? Can we, you know, make that into actions <laughs> at some point? And uh, I will say one more thing uh, from what we were talking about before. I, I think that change really comes from the bottom, not from the top. It's like, I am happy to be wrong about this. And if anyone can correct me, I, I, I will take that. This idea of, I think that true change has always come from the bottom, what we call the bottom, right? In the hierarchy. I don't think that true change has come from management or from whoever is in an in an admin position. It comes from the people who, you know, day in, day out are there experiencing what it's like to be between a rock and a hard place. I want to serve my community. I want to serve these clients, but admin or management is telling me to do these things. And ah, how do I exist in this world? Right. So I think that 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 true change does come from the people really. Uh, working through it yeah yeah i, I think you're 100 right the eight-hour workday exists 
here because workers protested for months, rioted at some points. Um, yeah. Women, women of all ethnicities and races are able to vote here because women of all ethnicities and races fought for it. Uh, the civil rights movement existed, not because people who were not marginalized were like, oh, you know, we could use some equality. <laughs> it's, it's all it's all people that are on the bottom of this yeah. song that are, mm-hmm. that, you know, commune together and do the work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Kind of like the only power we have in capitalism is coming together. Sarah, I saw your yes, but I didn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I also didn't, I just mouthed it. Oh, okay. Sometimes when I muted, I just mouthed it. I'm just so happy that, I'm sorry, I can hear my mic. I'm it's just okay. really excited that I, Joanne, you know that I love bringing up capitalism in the show and I'm happy to, that everybody else brings it up Yeah, uh, as well. I'm happy when a guest brings it up before we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was the problem. Yeah. It, it's also so interesting how much it comes up in therapy now. Yes. It's just like, oh, and here it is. And that's capitalism. And like, what? It, I, I, and yeah. I, I'm wondering about what the two of you, both Savannah and Joanna, what do you think about this? But I, I can feel some, and nobody specifically, but sometimes there are clients that if they are talking about issues with productivity or they're talking about issues with being motivated, and I'm talking about how capitalism is really like kind of setting the standard for how they should be, they don't always accept it. Clients actually sometimes can have a very, very hard time accepting that it's not them. That's the problem. Mm. And that's that's a lot for a clinician. So what a difficult line to toe to keep somebody to keep somebody in the room with you if if you're a beneficial clinician for them. And to not make them want to just find a therapist who's going to, as Silvana mentioned in the beginning or last week's episode, you know, make them be more motivated, make them wake up a half hour earlier, make them do more hit exercises. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'm not that therapist anymore. I'm happy to not be that therapist, but sometimes it's really what some some folks really desire. Um, I'm wondering what your thoughts, both of you, what your thoughts are on that. I think also, I think it might be beneficial that that's some some people's way into therapy and this kind of like a little bit non-confrontational way. Mm-hmm. Like you kind of know what what is coming, but I think it's in I guess like it's important for the clinician to have that flexibility because I don't think capitalism is coming up with my clients in the first or second session. I think it's coming up maybe after a year we've been working together and then uh-oh, here's what we're coming up against. So I think it it might be, I mean it, I, I think there's definitely harm in that like prescriptive therapy that shouldn't go on and I think that there's there's a way to make therapy accessible for those who need need that structure in the beginning and then be able to open up and be liberated and supportive completely yeah I I think that's part of following our client space right Uh, which again, I think it centers the client and it doesn't center me as a clinician with experience, air quotes, because I'm the expert, right? Quote, unquote, Um, that would be so hierarchical on on my end, right? So yeah, some people may notice that earlier. Some people, like you're saying, Joanna, maybe after a year is when that conversation begins. To me, it feels more and more like talking, like, you know, that client that is coming to therapy for the first time and they don't know that they are depressed. And maybe they are not going to believe you in the very beginning. And that's okay, right? Let's keep on talking about your experiences and how you're experiencing the world and how you are reacting to the world. And at some point, maybe that person will say, damn, I am depressed. Or, you know, I now I can tell 
this is what has been happening for me. Uh, or, or maybe I am believing that they are depressed and suddenly it's more like, oh, no, I think it's trauma. Now, now that I am talking more with you, right? Because um, we don't have to be right all the time. No. Uh, but I think it's a similar conversation with uh, capitalism or oppressive systems, maybe in the burnout, right? Uh, productivity. Maybe in the beginning, a person doesn't realize that that is part of the problem. And my hope is that at some point I can gently continue bringing it up or that I am open to that conversation or that I can point that topic as a door that I am not going to open for the client and that they can open whenever they are ready. And I am happy, so happy to go there with them, right? Let's talk about how capitalism is affecting your life, how productivity, burnout, and these oppressive systems are making you feel depressed, anxious, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Once we start talking about systems and therapy, it's just like it gets so sticky and and it's somewhat exhausting too, to just feel like, oh, yep, that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a nice it's a nice way reminder that we need to trust our clients, you know, especially if they're coming in from these systems, having many clinicians, physicians, representatives, anybody really, really entering into a space with them and not trusting them, um, really like teaching them how to be trusted, you know, how to how to be the leaders. Um, of their own treatment is, I think that's a great kindness. Yeah, I agree. And and, and I also think, uh, I think Joanna just said something, um, I can't remember the exact word, but it's something, it was something like, uh, it can get very heavy for us as well, right? To have these conversations or to have these conversations with our clients. Um, and that's the reason why I think, uh, not just me, we, we see this, you know, the, the idea of having community, even if it's a community of one, who's that other therapist that can support me, who can hold me accountable, who th- that peer or whoever, a family member, friend, it, it doesn't matter, you know, what area of your life that person is in, but I also need my community if I want to keep on doing this and I want to do it well and I do it for me, for my clients and for my community. I also need my own support. Otherwise, I will burn out as well, right? Not only am I helping clients through their burnout, but I need my own support and I need my own help um, so that I can continue doing this this wonderful job. I like that as a reminder for Western therapists too, especially because in our culture, we're taught that community like needing community is optional and that there can even be weakness in needing community and needing extra support when we, it's the opposite, really. I mean, it's not that it's, yeah, I don't think it's the opposite. I think it's actually just really necessary for us. And unfortunately, we have been made to feel that it shouldn't, it should be a choice, something that we can opt out of having a support system. But I like, I like that you're providing that for folks too, that that is actually very normal and very necessary and appropriate. To seek out support from like what a capitalist idea to keep people separate and to you know be like pull yourself up by your bootstraps you can take care of this you're you know why would you need someone else to help you you can are can in control when it's like you know that's where i get like i said earlier our power against capitalism is coming together so like of course there are going to be powers that push us apart yeah yes 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 yeah uh, th- that is one thing that that i always tell uh the people who participate in my program 
remember that most of your doubt, in, in my humble opinion, remember that most of your doubts, remember that that imposter syndrome, maybe it is your oppressive system that we have grown up in, that we were conditioned into, that we were socialized into, that, you know, we have those ideas because most of us, we, we, bo we were born in that type of society. We were born into a society with ideas of, you know, productivity has to look a certain way, relationships, how we socialize, how we interact, how we work, how, how we look, um, you know, and, and when we deviate from that unhealthy norm, we think that there's something wrong with us. Uh, or we think that we're not doing something right and we just need to work harder, right? Um, and to me, that's just a bunch of BS, right? The moment that I can start to unlearn that, that's better. And if I have a community that's going to help me remember that, that there's nothing wrong with me or that it's okay to feel tired or it's okay that I didn't finish that note or that I'm going to complete it tomorrow because I just can't, right? Or I have a family or I have my own life and I need... I need to take care of myself as well, right? I, I like to, maybe not the first webinar that I offer, but I like to begin the webinars saying, let's remember that we're not doing well. And this is a webinar for therapists, right? Let's remember that we're not doing well. There's a pandemic, there's all our sociopolitical circumstance, past and present, current and past sociopolitical circumstances, and the problems from our clients and our vicarious trauma and our own problems. So let's remember that we're not doing well. And that is okay in the sense that we need to acknowledge that as well, right? We're just human. We cannot have a happy smile and, and, and solve problems from nine to five and, and then go to home happy and have a happy personal life until the following day that we go back to the office, right? Or go back to our practice. So, so yeah, I think community is very, very important. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Nothing yeah. else I can add. Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, even I mean, I'm just thinking about, you know, how the like cultural taboo and telling people your salary. Oh, yeah. Very intentional. So mm -hmm. so that you don't ask for that salary. <laughs> so that you don't ask. For yeah. Or just like, oh, we're not supposed to be talking about this when like mm -hmm. we should be talking about everything. Yes. What's the point of not talking about how much we get paid, right? Or with insurance companies, right? Mm. Um, I, I sign a contract. I cannot tell my peers how much, what's my fee. And uh, well, if I don't know how much my my, my peer makes, uh, maybe then I cannot complain or I cannot ask for the same fee because I, I deserve that fee, right? So, so I, yeah, I don't believe in that idea of not talking about money or how much I make. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because like if clinicians find out that the rates aren't great in your state, then they're not going to go through the process of being credentialed. Because like, what's the, I mean, I know in, in Pennsylvania, they're abysmal. So yeah. So big takeaway, always talk about what you're making. <laughs> always talk about, and you know, not, I'm thinking about, you know, my parents' generation and there was this like real moralization of, no, you can't talk about this if you don't want to make people feel bad or it's none of your business. Um, there are a lot of things that aren't your business, but how much salary and take home and, you know, what you need for financial security is very much your business. Um, and anybody that tells you otherwise is either, you know, actively oppressing you or is oppressed themselves and they, they have not mm -hmm. had the opportunity to be liberated. I think this also mm -hmm. goes back to, Savannah, what you were talking about, the, about the importance of community that mm -hmm. it can sometimes feel very isolated isolating to be to think outside of the system because it's like oh well no one else really 
thinks like me or approaches this in this way. So it can feel really isolating. So it's important to find that community. Completely. Because then it leads you to burnout. Like I cannot be the only one doing this, right? I cannot be the only one complaining for all the right reasons, right? Uh, I cannot be the only one saying that my workplace is racist or is homophobic. And and if I don't have support, I am going to burn out. So so I need that community. Uh, I need people around me. Um, because then it's unfortunate that it's the, mostly the people who hold the most systemically marginalized identities, the ones who are burning out faster because they don't have that support or because they are not believed uh, because they are going to, they are trying to go against the norm. So yeah, I, I think that community is important for, for so many reasons. Well, I feel like this is a good place for us to end now. Um, I, I hope that we can have many more conversations in the future. And I want to deeply thank you for speaking with us today. Is there any, well, where can people find you? Is there anything that you would like to plug? Anything else you'd like to say? For sure. People can find me. Um, my uh, URL is uh, 7th Self Consulting. And uh, I have a program called uh, Decolonize Your Practice. And it's for mental health clinicians who um, love or have incorporated social justice values, but that who have incorporated them maybe in an intellectual way. So they know what their social values are and they know what those are about. But are struggling with incorporating them into their practice and into their treatment. So they are struggling with embodying those social justice values. So I have an eight-week program that uh, it's very experiential and works and, and walks clinicians through the process of, okay, how can I make my practice more accessible? How can I adjust my treatment to my clients? How can I even decolonize some of my own ideas in my personal life? Because my personal persona <laughs> is not separate from my professional persona. I am in the one container living the one life. So how can I start decolonizing aspects of myself that that is going to be beneficial for me, for my clients, for, for everybody else? Yeah. So yeah, seventh self consulting and decolonizing your practice. Thank you. Thank and again, you. thank you so much for talking with us today. And I hope to have many more conversations in the future. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, uh, Joanna and Sarah. It was really nice to talk to the both of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. Be sure, be sure to subscribe, rate and review us on Stitcher, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can check us out on Instagram at TNDPod, on Twitter at TNDPod1. One is in the number one or visit our website at tndpodcast.com. We've got a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash tndpodcast. That's T is in turtle, N is in Nancy, and D is in, I don't know. Derek. Uh, Derek um, podcast. And uh, yeah, check that out. It's very cool. We talked about it in the beginning of the show, but it's really the way that we can keep making this podcast and having these essential uh conversations that we have with other clinicians. If you would like to be a guest on the show, head on over to our Instagram. There's a link tree for a Google document that you can request um, request to be interviewed by us. If you have any like thoughts, you can send us an email at therapistsnextdoor at gmail.com. That therapists plural next door at gmail.com. Sarah, do you have anything to plug? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to double plug that Patreon? Patreon.com forward slash TV podcast. T is in Tara. <laughs> <laughs> N is in Nara, D is in Dara.
Okay. Um, so check that I think out. that's the opposite of what it's supposed to be. Is that what? Oh, it's supposed to be words that don't start with anyway. Amazon Mansi. Um, anyway, I don't know the, I don't know, I don't know what it is. Um, it's really great to visit teletherapywithsarah.com. Yeah. Uh, monthly blog posts on surviving as a millennial within capitalism and ways to deconstruct. Um, sometimes they come every other week, Joanna, but really not lately. I'm, I'm a farmer now. Okay. Um, so check out my Instagram at Teletherapy with Sarah, um, where I tell you about my blog posts on teletherapywithsarah.com. <laughs> okay. um, and that's pretty much that. I do have a podcast, which I'm on, so you know about yep. that. Joanna, do. Um, yeah, if you want to check out orianatherapy.com, I'm like really excited to write some blog posts. I'm, I'm giving myself time also to get them out and to like think about them. I don't have to be productive in any way. I'm just like, hey, it'd be cool if I wrote about this and it'll happen. Oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, orianatherapy.com. Did I say that? Yes. No. Oh, yep. I did now. All right. Cool. Until next time. We, we are, are your therapists next door. Next door. Uh,